0: God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. may be seated. Good morning. The language of sin has become more and more incomprehensible, I think, in our culture of late. If you were to go out on the street and use the language of sin, or if you were to use it, say, in your workplace, chances are most people would not understand quite what you mean. Sure, they might have some vague or maybe stereotyped understanding, but by and large, both the term and the concept of sin are quickly becoming antiquated in our society. And yet, there is still at least one image of sin that still very much resonates with our world today, and that is the notion of sin as dirtiness. If you were to talk to someone about a dirty joke or a dirty film, people know what you mean. We all know what it's like to feel dirty or unclean. And Mark chapter 5 would rightly be called the New Testament's great chapter of dirtiness. Last week, Jeff preached on the first half of Mark 5 and the demon-possessed man. And Mark tells us that these demons were dirty demons. They were unclean demons. And in our passage this morning uh, from Mark chapter 5, we encounter two more unclean characters, the bleeding woman and the dying daughter, who are both dirty in their own ways. So this morning, as we look at these two stories, I encourage you to follow along in your bulletin. I want us to see what Jesus does with these two unclean people. So let's look at these each in turn. First, the bleeding woman. Before we dive into the specifics of the narrative, it should be noted just how masterful of a storyteller Mark is. These two stories are really just a story within a story, and Mark rightly sees them as linked. There are several different themes or phrases that are repeated, and that is no accident. So this first story begins with Jesus returning from the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and we are told that his popularity has only continued to grow. And out of the crowd that's gathered around is Jairus, a a ruler of the synagogue, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and begs him to come and heal his daughter who's at the point of death. And as they begin to make their way to Jairus' house, the great crowds are following and pressing in on them and we are introduced to this woman who has had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, why is is that significant? Well, in her day, according to the Old Testament law, bodily discharges would have rendered somebody unclean and that had massive consequences. Once you are unclean, everything you touch also becomes unclean. The bed that you share with your husband, the chairs in your living room that you sit on, the drinks or the cups that you drink out of, uh, anything or anyone that you come in contact with would also become unclean. I think for you and me, the last 15 months have helped make this story come to life in a new way. We are now very much aware, are we not, of the process of contamination. Regardless of one's political persuasion, as a result of the pandemic, all of us have become hyper-aware of how contamination spreads. COVID has caused us to resemble in many ways what people in Jesus' day would do in order to avoid becoming unclean. We became extra vigilant of the things that we touched, the places that we went, what came into our homes. And for many of us, we became aware, painfully, of the consequences, both socially and physically, of becoming like one who is unclean. Isolation is always a byproduct of becoming unclean. So because of COVID, I think we are a bit more sympathetic to this bleeding woman. And one day, this this woman started her regular, regular menstruation, and it simply never stopped. We don't know if uh, she was married or if she had any children, but if so, this meant that she couldn't embrace her husband. She couldn't even kiss her children for 12 long years. Everyone she loved would grow up and go through life, and she would be left watching them at a distance. She became an outcast of society in order to make sure that no one else would become unclean. And as Difficult as as it's been for us these last 15 months of a pandemic, our uh, experiences would likely just be minor inconveniences, I think, compared to the 12 long agonizing years that this woman has gone through. It's an interesting feature of this story that 12 years shows up again later in the narrative, and in a way, it's a bit unnecessary. The fact that this woman was unclean for 12 years, well, that is pretty significant But knowing that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old, well, that seems oddly specific and really doesn't add much to the story. So why does Mark choose to include that little detail? Well, as those who are more advanced in years know, 12 years can fly by as you get older. 12 years ago, I was just graduating college, and yet it feels like yesterday. By and large, when life is good and you've accumulated many years, Twelve years can seem like nothing, but when life is bad, every day, every single day seems to drag on and on. This woman has been unclean for twelve years, so both for her and this little girl, twelve years would have been like a lifetime. It's no wonder that it says that she was desperate to be healed. We are told that this woman suffered much under many physicians. You can imagine the glimmer of hope that would come each time she would have a new physician, only to become deflated as she continues to see the blood flow. Instead of helping, all these treatments have only made her condition grow worse. And in seeking a remedy, we are told that she ends up spending all that she has. Modern medicine has thankfully brought some incredible changes, but the cost of medical help is something that remains uh, the same throughout the ages. A study published in the American Journal of Public Health in 2019 found that the number one reason for bankruptcy is medical expenses in the U.S. See, this woman is physically, emotionally, and financially consumed. And yet she has heard the reports of Jesus, how he performed many healings in the area, and yet she gives it one more try. We don't know exactly what she would have thought of Jesus, even if she could articulate Um, A statement of faith, but what we do know is that she saw this man as the solution to her problems. And so in her desperation, she makes a way through the crowd and dives for the hem of Jesus' robe and says to herself, even if I just touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately, immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, immediately the flow of blood stops and she knew that she was healed. And we read this rather odd sentence in verse 30, Jesus, perceiving that power had gone out from him, immediately turns about in the crowd and says, who touched my garments? And the disciples are obviously confused. They ask him incredulously, Jesus, don't you see the crowds pressing in around you, yet you ask, who touched my garments? The scene is like that of Beatlemania in the 60s. There were probably hundreds of people around Jesus, and any number of them probably touched his garments. But Jesus knew that this one woman, this one touch, was different from all the others. And why is that? Remember, this woman is unclean. And it didn't matter if you didn't know she was unclean. If you came in contact with her, you too would become unclean. But notice that's not what happens. It is not Jesus who becomes unclean. Rather, it is the woman who becomes clean. And it's Kind of hard not to hear a bit of sternness in Jesus' voice as he calls her out. So why, in a sense, is he embarrassing her in front of everyone? Why is he making her own up to what she's done? I think there are two reasons. The first is that her faith may have been a little superstitious. She may have simply thought of Jesus as some sort of talisman or magic charm. She thought maybe that if she just touched this magic man, then maybe she'd be healed. I think religion always runs the risk of functioning like this. And so Jesus will not let her go physically healed, yet confused in her soul. And after she comes forward, he tells her, daughter, your faith has made you well. It was her faith that he could do something about her condition. That is what saved her. It was Jesus' power, not his garments, that saved her. And it wasn't as if she kind of sneaked through the crowd and and stole some of Jesus' magic power without him knowing. No, Jesus, without seeing her face, saw her faith, and he chose to heal her. Her faith was Jesus' chosen instrument of salvation. So first, her faith was perhaps a bit superstitious, but a second reason he calls her out in front of everybody is because her faith was in secret. He asked, who touched me? And whenever Jesus asks a question, he's not looking for new information, but rather he's issuing an invitation. You see, this woman had come into the crowd and was healed and was content walking away with no one knowing. And after all, she's just broken several Old Testament laws in the process. But Jesus asked this seemingly superfluous question in order to encourage her to testify to her faith, to tell the truth. You see, faith must be Professed, and as this woman tells what happened, Jesus would publicly testify to her restoration, and all would know that she had been made well—not just physically. Did you notice that we never get this woman's name in the story? We get Jairus's name because everyone would have known who Jairus was. But this woman, she's a nobody, and even if Mark had given her name, nobody would have known who she was. And Jesus calls out to this woman, an outcast with no name, in order for all to know that now she is a daughter of God. He has adopted her into his spiritual family. Such is the grace of God. But before we move on to the dying daughter, what's the lesson of this bleeding woman for us this morning? You see, just as Jeff encouraged us last week to see in the demoniac, to see ourselves in this character of the demoniac, likewise, we're not all that different from this bleeding woman. While the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament uh, don't make us unclean any longer, you and I still do a number of things throughout the day that repeatedly make us feel unclean, and our souls are stained. We know what it's like to feel dirty. And I think the enemy's most powerful weapon is to come close and to whisper in our ear, You have made yourself dirty. And if you reach out and touch God by faith, you will make him dirty too. You must not do so because you are unworthy to reach out to him. Well, the lesson this morning of the bleeding woman is that when the dirty reach out to Christ by faith, it is not God who is made dirty. It is they who are made clean. Jesus shows no disgust towards the unclean. He welcomes them. He restores them, and he adopts them into his family. And there's much more that could be said about this woman, but let's move on now to the story of the dying daughter. Over the course of this exchange between Jesus and the woman, Jairus's little girl has died. Messengers from Jairus' home Uh, bring the news saying, she's dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? But overhearing what they said, or as some translations render it, but ignoring what they said, Jesus proceeds onto Jairus' house, telling Jairus not to fear, but only to believe. And upon arrival, they hear this great commotion. Death was more than just a, it was more than what it is today. It was a communal experience. And First century Judaism required professional mourners to assist the family in their grief. And yet again, Jesus asks what seems like a ridiculous question. Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And I think at times like this, it can be easy for us to do what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery and think less of first century people. But first century people aren't stupid. These mourners, it was their job to know when someone was dead. They knew that she had no pulse. They could feel her body being cold and lifeless. And so Jairus's daughter is in fact dead. But why does Jesus speak in this way? Well, he's not denying her death. Rather, he's pointing towards the miracle he's about to perform. He's encouraging those presents that this is not the end of this little girl. So he takes his three disciples and the girl's parents, and they enter the room where the little girl lay, and taking her by the hand. Do you see how this connects with the previous episode? This girl is a corpse, and as we heard in our reading from Numbers 19, a corpse was unclean. Anything that a corpse touches becomes unclean. As appalling as it may sound, if I went to a friend's house and sat on his couch, and then he said, oh, well, somebody died on this couch earlier that day. I I wouldn't just be a little grossed out, but under the Mosaic law, I would be unclean. And it wouldn't matter that I didn't know that somebody had died there. Simply the fact that I've touched something that touched a corpse would make me unclean. In the first story, it was the bleeding woman who took the initiative to touch Jesus, but here to remove all doubt about his willingness to become vulnerable to uncleanness, Jesus, of his own volition, does what would have been unthinkable. He comes in close and takes this little girl's lifeless body by the hand. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Arise. And everyone would have expected Jesus to become unclean. But it was not the filth of the corpse that comes into Christ. Rather, it was his cleanness that brings this unclean girl to life. So what's the lesson in this story for us? I I would think it's safe to say that we are a death-averse society. Thanks to modern technology, we can hide death pretty well. Whereas most every other culture in the history of civilization they witnessed uh, death firsthand, we have pushed it to the periphery of our world. And as counterintuitive as it may seem, it's actually a good and wise thing to reflect often on death. That's because until you come to terms with death, you will live your life enslaved to avoiding it. If you've ever looked at a corpse, I would imagine some of you have, you know how unsettling and, and yet powerful That experience can be. A corpse is a tangible sign of the loss of a relationship. It's a sign that you will never be able to talk with that person again, that they will never be able to laugh with you or or squeeze your hand ever again. Looking at a corpse is strangely powerful, and yet it becomes even more terrifying when you realize that when you're looking at a corpse in some way, it's like looking into a mirror. Sooner or later, you will be the one in the casket, There will come a day when you wake up for the last time, and it will be the last day of your life. And in the hours following, you yourself will become subject to the final and ultimate uncleanness. Death will seize you, and the question at that moment will be, is there something powerful enough, more powerful than death, to seize death by the throat and to break its power? The lesson of the dying daughter this morning is that the great uncleanness of death is no match for Jesus Christ. He reaches out to touch this dead girl and death's power on her is broken. But it gets even better than this because at the cross, Jesus doesn't just touch a dead body. He himself will become a dead body. He will become subject to the great uncleanness himself. And yet death will not be able to keep its hold on him. Jesus defeats the great uncleanness at his resurrection. You see, both of these stories are just a dim foretaste of what Jesus will do for all who are united to him by faith. His death is rendered their death. His resurrection is the promise of their own future resurrection. Such is the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Let me close with a word to those who maybe are not Christians here this morning, and then a, a word to Christians. My word to those who are here who are wondering about the Christian faith is, is pretty short. Jesus is alive, and he's still at, in the work of cleansing today. You can have this same cleansing power of Jesus touch your own soul. You too can experience the cleansing and pardon of God right now, and you can awaken to new life that he brings. And it's freely available to all those who, like this bleeding woman, reach out to him in faith. But if you are a Christian here this morning, I wonder if you can relate to someone I really didn't go into in this passage. Time didn't permit me to look closely at Jairus in the story, but I've learned whenever I teach on the physical healings of Jesus, there are many Christians for whom uh, such stories leave a rotten taste in their mouths. Because they've begged Jesus for healing of some kind, only to feel as if their cries for help are ignored. Maybe you've had a physical ailment in your life and you've begged God to heal it. Maybe you've had some disordered internal desire that you've asked God time and time again to take away. Or maybe like Jairus, your plea involves your own child or someone else that you love. And night after night, prayer after prayer, tear after tear, nothing seems to change. And it feels sure like Jesus is ignoring you. Jairus, for sure, felt that this sort of way in the story. And I'm sure when Jesus stops in the crowd and asks this ridiculous question, who touched me, Jairus must have been thinking, Jesus, who cares? What are you doing? You said you'd come and help my little girl, and now you're busying yourself with finding out who touched you in a crowd? God, what are you doing? We would forgive Jairus if as soon as he gets word that his daughter is dead, if he thought, Jesus, how how cruel. How utterly cruel. The one who had the power to actually do something about his problem has chosen to do something else. My friends, There are times in life when God allows your worst fears to come true. Sometimes our little girl dies. I wonder this morning if you can relate to Jairus. If not now, then at some point in the Christian life you will, uh, and we will all be left wondering, like Jairus, if Jesus is simply ignoring us. If you are in that place this morning, hear Jesus' words to Jairus. Do not fear, only believe. And you might say, well, easier said than done, and you'd be right. After all, Jairus doesn't even have to wait till sundown to find out that Jesus wasn't ignoring him. He sees firsthand, just moments later, that Jesus all along had a greater purpose for his daughter. But for some of you, Jesus will ask you to go your entire life, trusting that he is, in fact, for you, despite some significant evidence to the contrary. And What do we do when we find ourselves in times like this? My friends, the only thing that I know that can help is to reflect on Jesus Christ. While you may not understand why you are suffering, you can know whatever the reason. It isn't because He's ignoring you or that He doesn't care for you. Now, why is that? Because Jesus doesn't ask you to go through anything that He Himself hasn't already gone through Himself. Whatever the reason for our suffering, God found it reason enough to submit himself to a life of humiliation and experience cosmic suffering on the cross. Jesus himself knows, my friends, what it is like to feel ignored and forsaken. And the cross is proof of that. While, While God doesn't promise to end your suffering in this life, you can be assured that he does see you and that he does sympathize with you. He promises to be with you in your suffering and that it will be worth it to stick it out till the end. Know this for certain this morning, if you have cried out to Jesus for help and you feel as if he's ignoring you, know that Jesus will heal all of his people, physically and spiritually, either in this life or in the next. On the last day, he will wipe away every tear and right every wrong, and death will be swallowed up in victory. Beloved, what a powerful and loving Savior we have. Do not fear, only believe. Let us pray. Father, we praise you for your grace and mercy towards us and your son, Jesus. We thank you that while we were dead in our sins, you gave us your son to the end that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, we ask you to help us in our unbelief, that we might persevere and stand spotless with you on that great last day. Amen.